I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 436. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. While I normally feature songs that are getting a lot of airplay on the contemporary Christian music charts, I love introducing you to new music and artists that you may not have ever heard before. And if you follow the podcast, then perhaps you already listened to the bonus episode released on Friday, where I visited with Emily and Drew from the band Local Sound. I encourage you to check out that bonus episode, but today we will be using their song time and time again to dive into scripture. I know you can't wait to get to it, but first, let's listen. help but sing this song in light of what we studied last week about God's plans. And as I have pondered the plan of God, I can't diminish the importance of God's overarching plan as revealed through scripture. And the lyric right before this chorus is where the title of the song comes from. Local Sound sings, and I have seen your faithfulness time and time again. The chorus is a response of praise to the ongoing faithfulness of God. He has a plan and he will make sure it materializes. And Proverbs 19 says the Lord's purpose prevails. It's his time and time again faithfulness that provides the evidence that we need to walk the steps that he's determined for us with trust and hope and obedience. And in this worshipful response to God's faithfulness, Local Sound sings of the King through all the ages. Now, Paul uses this title of Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 7, in the English Standard Version, it says this. It says, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a lot packed into one verse. I do want to focus, however, on just this one idea that Jesus is the king of the ages. Now that Hebrew word translated ages in the English standard version is translated eternal in other versions. I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but I do want to point out that I took the bite of reading in various translations to discover this. So BITE stands for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. And one tool I use to take this bite is to visit BibleHub.com. And when I type in an individual verse in this resource of 
free website, I can see many translations listed on one page. You don't even have to understand Greek and Hebrew to take this bite. Because when you're looking at various translations, what you're looking at is you're seeing how scholars translate the ancient text of Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic into English. And my only warning here is to study translations, not paraphrases. So paraphrases like the message or the passion translation, they should be treated like commentaries, which is an opinion on what the text means, not a direct translation of the text itself, mostly because they didn't intend to translate it, even though the passion translation has the word translation in the title. I would also probably not use the voice translation to study like we are today, taking individual words and trying to see how scholars translated them works best in word-for-word translations like the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, or even um, uh, like a New Living Translation or NIV or something like that. They're they're actually translating the words instead of necessarily paraphrasing paraphrasing them. So one scholar feels like King of Ages is the best translation, while another set of scholars chooses Eternal King or or King Eternal. And so by looking at those, both of those words, though, in English, I get a better understanding of the meaning of this title of Christ. For example, the word eternal comes with it, this idea of something that never ends. Um, So Jesus, our king of the ages, implies that his rule will never end. But also, don't forget that this word eternal also holds the idea that before time was, Jesus was king. You see, eternity works in both directions. (laughs) I know, big idea. Hard to wrap your mind around, uh, but really important to understand the depth of this title of Christ. And this is where I dove in this week. If If Jesus is king of the ages... What does the Bible teach us about Jesus as king? And when I say the Bible, I want to go back to the Old Testament too. So the office of king in the Old Testament was a mediatorial office, meaning the king was a mediator in that he was under the law of God, and yet he helped to establish and maintain the law of God to the people through a governmental system. So you don't have to dig too deep to see that the kings of Hebrew history failed to live up to this high calling. They weren't the king of the ages, though, right? So Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised king and kingdom from beginning to end. All right, I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's back up a bit. Uh, From the beginning of mankind, God sits in ultimate authority over us. He was and has always been our king. But along the way, in the story of humanity, God's chosen people rejected him from being king over them. Don't believe me? Read 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. God literally says to Samuel, they have rejected me from being king over them. <laughs> so lucky, luckily for us, our rebellion does not thwart God's plans because by 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see God revealing his kingdom plan for a coming king that will last forever, a king of all the ages. Second Samuel 7.16 says, Your house, he's talking to David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, spoiler alert, he's talking about Jesus here. The best way to ensure forever is to place an immortal king on the throne, don't you think? (laughs) So do you mind if we head over to the throne room of heaven for a little bit? 
you know, don't don't forget to take the bite of using your imagination to picture the scene. Uh, this is a vision given to Daniel in chapter seven. And I want to start in verse nine. And this is Daniel saying, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. All right, let's jump down to verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Oh, I hope you take the opportunity to go and read Daniel chapter seven for yourself. Um, Interestingly enough, chapter seven sort of stands on its own because what happens in chapter six is a separate narrative and chapter eight is a completely separate vision. So you could just go and read Daniel seven for yourself. But even from what we've just read here, you can picture the throne room and you can see God ancient of days giving the son of man, Jesus, everlasting dominion. The one with a kingdom that is everlasting is the king of the ages. So flip a few pages in your Bible, leave the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and spring into the New Covenant, the New Testament, where we see this king of the ages come to earth. He is fully God and fully man. And his purpose is to fulfill this promise of God to King David way back in Samuel that his throne would be established forever. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 begins this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Matthew is highlighting two covenants, two Old Testament covenants for his readers here. The Abrahamic covenant where God promises Abraham land and descendants and blessing. And this blessing promised to Abraham would extend through him to all the peoples of the earth. And then Matthew is also highlighting the Davidic covenant, which we've already talked about. This is the covenant where God promises a descendant of David to reign on the throne over the people of God. It is a continuation of the earlier covenants in that it promises a Davidic king as the figure through whom God would secure the promises of land and descendants and blessing. All right, so I chose to take the bite of exploring a theme in scripture this week. And the theme is the role of Jesus as king of the ages. But practically speaking, I dove into scripture references in the New Testament talking about Jesus as the son of David. Recognizing that Jesus is the way that God is securing the fulfillment of his promises that he has made from the beginning. All right, so you can follow along for yourself. It is as easy as pulling up BibleHub.com, searching for Son of David, clicking on the New Testament filter just to filter it down to only references in the New Testament. And then I just started reading those scriptures in context. All right, so the first thing I noticed is that Jesus is a son of David by physical genealogy, right? So both Matthew and Luke traced Christ's lineage from King David. 
And uh, Paul says it this way in his letter to the Romans concerning his son, who was descended from King David, according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so he is the son of King David, according to the flesh. Now, you will soon discover that it's more than that, though. It's uh, son of David is more than just saying I'm in the 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 lineage of King David. In this case, it's a messianic title. So when people referred to Jesus as the son of David, they meant that he was the long awaited deliverer, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, So consider this interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. Verse 41, it says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to unpack that uh, um Uh, fully right here, but I do want to point out that even these Pharisees thought that the Christ or the Messiah was the son of David. And Jesus was kind of pointing out that they didn't understand that he wasn't just merely a human in the lineage of David, but that he was going to be divine and that he himself was the son of David and that he was divine. So they expected the son of David to be a man. And indeed he is, right? But they didn't understand that he would be divine, eternal, and immortal. They thought him to be king, but they were looking for a king of the age, not a king of the ages. All right, but that generation, that generation was expecting the Messiah. They knew that this deliverer would do miraculous things. Listen to the people's conclusion in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 22 says, a demon, a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? So again, more than just a lineage, also kind of this idea of Messiah coming to deliver. Now, you get a sense that God meant it when his covenant promises, when he said that his covenant promises are for all the peoples of the earth. Because in Matthew chapter 15, a non-Jewish woman approaches Jesus with this title, Son of David. Let's listen. Um, Verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. She was persistent. (laughs) He answered, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, God's plan was to bring salvation first to his chosen Israel and then to the Gentiles. But isn't it interesting that this pagan woman recognized the kingly authority Jesus had to drive out the enemies of his kingdom? 
calling on his authority as king of the ages, son of David, in humble faith, she was heard. Now, another example of faith in that authority of Jesus as king is found in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 27. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. So according to the faith of the blind men, Christ exercised his authority over the physical realm. He has dominion over his enemies of the kingdom and the sickness and the death that sin brought into the kingdom. His rule is one of great power and great mercy. Now, one more example, I won't be able to fully unpack, uh, but I'm going to leave you with some direction as to where to study on your own to get a full picture. I could probably do an entire podcast just on this this um, this idea or this section, but let's take the bite of reading Matthew chapter 21 in context. Of course, we don't have the time to do it now. I want you to do that on your own. That means you read at least Matthew chapter 20 through 22. But you're going to see tucked into what is described as Jesus's triumphal entry. You're going to see these words, verse nine of chapter 21. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, this this scene that you're going to read about on your own, it's going to it's showing Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And if you take the bite of following the cross reference, it's going to send you to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Are you following me now? So the people in the scene described in Matthew view this scene of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as a fulfillment of this messianic prophecy in Zechariah. And indeed it is. So they bestow upon him the messianic and kingly title, son of David, as they shout out. Uh, But you should also follow another cross reference because what the crowd is shouting is from Psalm 118 when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That comes directly from Psalm 118. So when I go read Psalm 118 for myself, I see so many things that I hope you explore and meditate on your own. I'm going to list them out here real quick, but I am going to include them in the show notes over at michellekneesat.com forward slash 436 so you can um, get them for easy reference. And if you're a subscriber to my email list, you already have these in your inbox. All right. So first of all, I noticed the irony found in verses eight and nine of Psalm 118. It says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now, you see, this is exactly what they were doing. The people thought Jesus was going to be a king of the age. They didn't realize he's king of the ages. They were going to place their trust in the Prince of Peace, but not for eternal peace. They wanted here and now peace. They wanted rescue from the Roman rule that they suffered under. And they did not understand that he was the Lord. Uh, they uh, That he was God and man. They were just willing to settle for the man that would rescue them from their current circumstances. 
So uh, Jesus references verse 22. We're just going to jump ahead. Let me read it to you. Verse 22 says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So you can go explore Matthew 21, verse 42, and its context, Mark 12, verse 10 in its context and or Luke 20 verse 17 in its context to see that Jesus refers to himself as the cornerstone and Peter defending Christ before the religious council in Acts chapter 4 says this in verse 11 this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among uh, men by which we must be saved and then later in another letter Peter puts it this way First uh, Peter 2, 4, he calls Jesus a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. So that's another little uh, cross-reference coming out of Psalm 118 about uh, Christ and his, his kingship. And then one more observation before we wrap up, still in Psalm 118, verses 26 through 27. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You remember that, right? We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. I cannot help but think of Zechariah's prophecy over his new baby, John, where he talks about how John's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And he says this in verse 78 of Luke 1, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Jesus is the light. He is the sunrise giving light to those who sit in darkness. Blessed be the name of the son of David, our king of the ages, our eternal immortal king. So what's next? We'll use this week's song to inspire you to reflect on our king of the ages. Search for references to the son of David in the New Testament and begin exploring each reference in context. Ask questions along the way. Meditate on what you learn about Jesus in each scene. Use the cross-references that I explore in this episode to guide you as you pour over what the Bible has to say about uh, the Son of David, our Messiah and King of the Ages, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then while you're in God's Word this week, let me know how you're doing. You can email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter, at michellekneezat, Instagram, same, at michellekneezat, or Michelle L. Nizat is my public Facebook page, and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And I would be honored if you followed the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode, but if you sign up on my website at michellekneezat.com. Then as I mentioned before, I'm able to email you once a week with the show notes with all the scriptures I use and all the links to the resources and articles and commentaries and things that I use in my personal study. And then my featured free resource for new email subscribers this week is a one-page PDF of my top five bites. You can get started moving beyond merely reading scripture. You can start interacting with it and use this tool to help. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. Just like some of these newest subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Mart from Nebraska, Jessica from Iowa, Erica from Illinois, and Karen from California, welcome. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, do that today by heading over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. 
Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be featuring Me On Your Mind by Matthew West to dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 436. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.